Okay, looks like we're live. Hello, everybody. We're back. It's Wednesday. It's 106. We're even later than last week. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> we made it. We figured out our technology fun. And this is Chatting with Chap, and I'm Ginger Wade, and I'm here with two of my evaluator friends from last week. We have Courtney Dunlop and Barb Bartman. So thank you for coming back again, ladies. I'm very glad to have you. And if, if you didn't see, our um, chat with chap last week had like over 2,000 views. Like it just exploded. So that's really good. So that means everybody's getting all the good information out there. So that's great. Okay, we are going to start today, uh, just like we did last week, with another contest. Um, Kelly Stewart won last week's prize, which was an ultimate membership to the schoolhouseteachers.com. And guess what? We got another one. So this is the other one that we have. And we're going to do a different question this week because, of course, you guys all know the answer to last week's question, which the answer was June 30th. You have to have your things to the school district by June 30th. So that Kelly answered first. So she got the prize last week. So like I said, They'll have access to courses, streaming videos and eBooks, um, online interactive content and downloadable lessons and all sorts of fun things like that. So if you would like a shot at this, the first person to answer the question of the day gets it. And I will go back and watch the video and the first one, I will like watch it till the first answer comes up. That's how I figured out who won. So, okay, the question of the week is, okay, so we know you have to hand stuff in by June 30th. So the question is, what do you hand in to the school district by June 30th? What is it that you give to them? So the first person to give the correct explanation of that question wins the schoolhouse teachers membership. So, all right, comment away. Okay, so we're going to jump into the a frequently asked questions list that um, I'm sure Courtney and Barb come uh, come in contact with these questions a lot. Amy gave a lot of these to us. So we're going to talk through these. Maybe we'll get through all of them. There's a lot on our list. So uh, number one on our list uh, says what the, the wording was, what constitutes proof for the subjects covered? But the proof thing um, was not a word that the evaluators appreciated and they can explain that if they want to, but what we're thinking is samples because in the portfolio, it, it says samples. So ladies, if which one of you wants to take that first, um, what, what is a sample? It's not proof, it's a sample. So what is a sample? Do you wanna do that? take that Barb first? Oh, sure. Um, <clears throat> so, a sample can be lots of different things. So um, everybody homeschools differently. And so samples are all gonna look different. So um, it can just be like we, we talked about that you need to show that you're making progress. Um, <clears throat> so it can be um, a worksheet that's like, you know, something that they did in the beginning of the year, something from the middle of the year, something from the end of the year that shows progress. But it could also be um, some kind of project that they worked on. Um, it can be, you know, 
you can have photographs, you can just have like a paragraph that um, maybe even if, especially for a younger kid, that mom wrote describing what they did. Um, it doesn't have to be a worksheet by any means. So it could be, you know, I have one student that'll be coming um, this week who has written some books. And so she wanted to bring her books along that she wrote. So things like that. I mean, it can be anything. I've seen sewing projects. I've seen all kinds of, and actually it's, that's kind of what makes it fun to be an evaluator is that you get to see <laughs> all these different things that people are doing. You get to see all different kinds of curriculum that they use. You get to see all kinds of, um, you know, their own units that they've made up, just maybe using materials from the library or something on nature or whatever. And I, over the years, I've just seen so many really cool things. So it, it, it can be whatever you think is going to show that you've made, your child has made progress in what they've been doing. So, you know, it's really something that's open. It doesn't have to be a certain type of thing. Okay. Anything else you want to add to that, Courtney, or is that pretty much cover it? It pretty much covers it. The only thing that I would add is if, um, let's just say for history, you just read books, you read living books, sitting on the sofa, snuggling. Mm -hmm. That's great. Don't create written work. Put those books on your log. That's another way to show progress. So what is it about now? Sometimes I know on some of my videos, um, like I've had to explain the difference between register and file an affidavit. So sometimes vocabulary is tricky. So why not the word proof? Why sample and not proof? Just so people know. I don't know. Because I know, Barb, you had really, really brought that up when we talked about it before. So what's the difference there between those two words? So to me, Proof means that you're trying to um, make sure that you have met a certain standard or whatever. Um, and, and with this, you, you're just trying to show progress. So, mm -hmm. and the law just says samples. It doesn't say mm -hmm. proof. So it kind of makes you, it makes me feel like the, if you say proof, the homeschoolers on the defensive, you know, and yes. needs to prove what they've done. And I, I don't feel that way at all. I just want to see samples because that's what the law says, samples. So um, so I'm not looking for proof that you've done something. I'm just looking for samples. And to me, there's a difference there and just kind of the connotation of the word. Yeah, that's really great because I just before we started this video, I was out and I was in a homeschool group and there was someone who actually posted and maybe you're watching this and maybe you, you can share this with her if you know her, but um, she has someone who is going to be evaluating for her in a public school teacher person. And um, after working, looking over her things for the year, she's like, well, you haven't done enough. Like it was a proof thing. Like, ah, so I posted our previous video on that comment and said, um, watch this because we talked about that last week where the evaluator is not looking for proof. Like Barb said, she's not, you're not looking for proof. You're not proving that you've done enough. You're not, you're not, the evaluator is not the end all be all of you've done enough school. That's not the evaluator's job. So we talked about that in last week's uh, chat with chap 118. If you missed that conversation, you might want to watch that video and check that out. So um, very important distinction there. It's, it's actually pretty huge distinction there. So, okay. So that was number one. So um, let's move on to number two. 
This is a great question. Does it matter what results my child gets on the standardized test? So Courtney, do you wanna do this one first? Sure, no, it does not matter <laughs> how your children do on the standardized test. Um, it just matters that they've done the test in grades three, five and eight. And um, so those results should be shown to the evaluator. And honestly, I only look to see that they were done. I look at your results. Uh, the only way that I look at the results is if the parent has a question. Otherwise, it does not matter how they do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a fan of testing. I know a lot of you have to test to go to college or a lot of colleges you do. So in that situation, but um, I, I, I don't know, I'm just not a, some people test well and some people don't, but it doesn't show what you know. So right. I, I, I lead along those same lines. I don't think that those tests show what a child knows or even shows or is an indicator of what they're capable of learning. Exactly. Well, exactly. and you probably covered this in testing, but they don't even have to take, like the third grader doesn't have to take a third grade test. Grade test. They have to be tested in third grade, but they could take the second grade test. They could take the fourth grade test. It, you know, it's up to you to decide what test they take, as long as, you know, you're, you've got one of the tests that's on the list, the 11 that the PD has put out. Um, otherwise, yeah, it, you know, you can decide what you want to do with that. Yeah, that's, that, that's another thing. Um, out on homeschoolpennsylvania.org on our test site, we do list all those tests, but, but that's the important part of like, it's another place where our law is more general than people realize. Just because you think your child's in third grade, which a lot of homeschoolers don't even do grades, um, doesn't mean you have to test at third grade level. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of like blow your mind. You're kind of going, whoa, you know, you just need to have a test administered and the evaluator looks to see that a test has been done. Doesn't look to see, oh, you did really good. You did it good enough to pass. No, there is none of that. Yay. <laughs> so it's, um, those are really important distinctions. Okay. Number three, this is a great question. How much do evaluations cost? Barb. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start again. Okay. So I have to say, I raised the price of my evaluation this year. Um, well, kind of last year, this year, because it's been a lot more work for me to, um, to put everything together with having to do the virtual. And then mm -hmm. also just, you know, figuring out the dynamics of even our in-person and how, yeah, it's just been complicated. And there've been a lot of questions and things like that. So it's so all that to say that I'm charging $10 per student um, or child this year. And um, in the past, I used to charge $5. So, so that's what I do. That's amazing. How about you, Courtney? So um, I charge 20 for eighth grade and down. So basically short form. Mm -hmm. And if a student is doing a diploma program and I'm doing a transcript, um, then I charge 40. So it's essentially double the yeah. Paperwork. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and then my evaluator, she's like, well, give me what you'd like to give me. Here's a range that people have given me before, but give what you can. And if you can't do that, that's fine. I mean, I have six kids at one time, <laughs> like four evaluated at once. It's like, oh, you know, so, um, and some people aren't comfortable with that. They just want a price tag, but you know, everybody handles it differently. And um, it's pretty much just up to an evaluator 
what they want to cost, really. I mean, they could do it for free if they really wanted to. So and some do. Uh, yeah. 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 It's a ministry, I guess, in in, in those cases. So um, either way, it's a ministry. But OK, number four, can anyone do an evaluation of my homeschool child? We did touch on this last week. And it kind of goes with number, I have uh, one way at the bottom uh, that Barb actually might not have that one called, um, can the evaluator be a relative? So um, how about Courtney, do you want to just mention that, I guess, briefly what we talked about last week about who can evaluate your kids? Yes. So um, an evaluator would be someone that holds a um, Pennsylvania teaching certificate. Um, and has taught or has graded um, the level in which they're evaluating. So has, uh, has graded on the elementary level or the secondary level. It can also be someone that has uh, written permission through the school district. Um, and I think a school psychologist as well can do an evaluation. Right. And there's like a, a non-public school teacher. There's like five different um, categories. And I can't really explain uh, like all of them because the non-public school teacher one kind of confuses me. I'm not exactly sure what that one is about. Because then you have to have taught within like the last 10 years. And, um, and it just, it's not super clear to me exactly how that one works. So the psychologist and the certified teacher and then someone with approval are the ones that I'm most familiar. Could you be in that situation when you're not at public school, maybe is that, can people teach at schools without a, a teaching certificate? Oh, okay. I see. Well, that's they why. That's, I was that's like, right. why are they well, listing this separately? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's yeah. why. Yeah. That's why. So it's almost like the one where you can have a homeschool mom get a written letter of approval from the, you know, it's almost the same type of situation there. So yes, you could have a relative uh evaluate your child it just can't be the um supervisor right and it shouldn't be the spouse spouse, right yeah yeah so it could be grandma it could be sister it could be uncle whatever nephew if you have (laughs) advanced nephew um so okay that takes care of that one and we'll go on to number five how do i know what to include in a portfolio and part of another question that amy had given me later was do you have a checklist so like is there a checklist what do i put in there what do i even do go ahead barb okay so um, I actually have like a little checklist that I keep for myself from each evaluation so that I just have something to go back and say, oh yeah, I saw everything on this date mm-hmm. in case anybody were to question me. So what I check off is that I've seen the log consisting of uh, the titles of reading materials used made in contemporaneous order. So um, basically chronological order. Um, so you need to have your log, which is just a list of, of whatever reading materials you've used. And you just have to have the titles. Like some people are worried about authors and all, you, you don't need all that. Um, <laughs> and then attendance. Um, so I usually, cause you attest to the fact that you're gonna do 180 days when you turn in your affidavit. Mm-hmm. So I usually do ask people because I do check that off um, on the letter that I give them to give to the school district, the evaluation form. Um, I ask them if they've done their 180 days or 900 hours or 990 hours for, um, for high school. 
and I just check that off because usually they're like, yeah, we have like three more days to do, or we have two more weeks or whatever, because, you know, you can have your evaluation before mm-hmm. you're done with all that. Um, samples. So I have the sample, um, well, the subjects listed for elementary, and then I have a different form that I use for high school. And that's only because sometimes I have people ask me about the subjects listed in the law. So it's just helpful if I have them there. But I just check that off and say that I've seen the samples. Um, and then the test, you need to have the test for grades three, five, and eight, like we said. So I check that off as well if they're in those grades. Um, and then the interview with the child. So, so that's my checklist that I keep for myself to make sure that I've seen everything. So Courtney, do you do something similar? Do you have a similar type of checklist thing that you do or? Um, For myself, um, now I just sort of know it. So I used to have a checklist and now it's just, you know, I just take the notes Mm -hmm. as I'm doing the evaluation, checking for the exact same things. Um, that Barb does as well. And then I keep them in a folder from year after year. So that way, if I do have a school district contact me, I have proof and I can say what I saw. Mm-hmm. In there. Um, I think that it's more for a, um, it's more for the parent's sake, for them knowing that I have this. In the 23 years I've been evaluating, I've never had a district contact me. Um, I've had one say, um, did this student do standardized testing. Um, and typically the school district is wrong um, in that case. But so I, I have had a couple phone calls, but never to say um, that a student was not making progress. It was just usually a clerical thing. Mm-hmm. I had someone call last year, well, this year actually, to ask me if a student graduated last year because they didn't have to turn in, you know, any of the, um, the letter to the school district. They didn't have to do testing, any of that stuff. And so they, they just wanted to know whether they could take the student off their records or not. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, you just never know. So it is nice to have something because yeah, my checklist, I have lines so I can like take a few notes if I need to about anything that, you know, might be unusual or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, but yeah, so every once in a while, a school district will call and it's helpful to be able to pull something out and say, oh yeah, I saw this child on this day. Everything was great. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, I would think um, unless you have an evaluator that's been doing it for many, many years, um, I mean, just to keep my head on straight, I'd probably have a checklist, but (laughs) I probably do. So when you find an evaluator, you can ask them, but definitely, obviously your, your 180 days, your log, your samples, your test scores, um, that's, that's the big, the basics. I mean, that's what we're looking for. Um, one of the things that I like to do, I forgot to mention this back in our previous question for samples. I actually create a photo book and it has just all, it's a hodgepodge. It's like film trips and science projects and whatever sports and music things or whatever. And I just make this, it's like the Wade Academy school year book. And it has, you know, last year, Joel graduated. So there's a Joel graduation page on it and stuff. And then I, I make that. And I actually take that along to my evaluation too. And she looks at that and it's like, oh, this is really great. So it's like a little family memory book thing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun. Everybody likes, well, my kids like photo albums. So they look at them <laughs> again and again. It's kind of funny. Okay. So let's move on to the next one. It says, what happens after an evaluation? So You've gone to your evaluators. 
house or like with Amy, you've met with the evaluator in the park or you've met on Zoom, you've done the interview, you've shown your work, what now? So Courtney, do you wanna explain what happens next? Sure. So um, you will receive a letter or um, a form from the evaluation, whether it's that same day or maybe the evaluator needs to mail it to you. Um, it depends. I can type up eighth grade and down short form. I do on the spot, but if it's high school um, and it's a diploma program student, I need more time to type it. So then I mail those to my parents. Once you receive that, you would make a photocopy and then send it to your school district. Um, I do recommend calling the school district this year to find out how they're taking the forms. Some of them are taking them through email mm -hmm. uh, and that'd be a great option mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. I handed my um, affidavit in this year via email. They were, you know, no one was there. You couldn't, you couldn't take it in. So, mm -hmm. so that was the option. Okay. So that's what happens afterwards. That's pretty simple. Nice. Okay, so here's a question. This is interesting. I started homeschooling in the middle of the year. How do I count days to equal 180? And like with sick days, if there's sick days, like what do you do with that? So Barb, do you want to tackle that one? So yeah, usually what I would say is if you start in the middle of the year, count how many days your child was in school before you started homeschooling and then just do the number that you need to reach 180. So it's not really that difficult. And then as far as sick days, um, I don't know, I guess if you had a lot of sick days, maybe that could be more of an issue, but you know, if you have like three sick days or something like that, um, I, I don't really worry about that because it's not like, if a child is sick in school, you know, they miss, you know, even a week or whatever, they have to make it up at the end of the year. That doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, so I don't really, and with homeschooling, at least for, for our family, it was really hard, especially when they were younger, or even as they got older to say like, this is a school day and this is not a school day. I felt like we learned something every day. So mm -hmm. the 180 day thing was kind of, I, I thought kind of an arbitrary number personally. So, and it came basically from what they do in public school. Sure. So, sure. Exactly. Does that make sense? What's magic about that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Anything else to add to that, Courtney? That was pretty, pretty straightforward, huh? <laughs> no, that is, that is perfect. Unless your child is sleeping, they're learning. Yeah, this is true. So. <laughs> This yes, is I don't even, I don't, honestly, I don't even look at the 180 days anymore because in reality you hit 180 days, like the end of January, because every day is learning. Life is learning. Mm -hmm. um, that measure of learning does not, is not a textbook. You know, have they finished this textbook that that's not, that doesn't have to be the signal for the end of the year or that yeah, ex days. Exactly. And that's why I think we have to, our, concept of what education is or what learning is, is so confined by the public school system set up. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, go before that. Sure, they had one room schoolhouses or whatever, but, you know, even before the schoolhouses, they, everyone was learning all the time. Like you read at night, you worked during the day, whatever. You helped on the farm, you learned how to do those things, but then you're also, you know, mom's teaching you how to do this, you know, in the evening or, or whatever. So there's not, and hours too. It's like 
you're, you know, constantly learning to do things. So it's just changing your mindset about what education is or when learning happens. And it's really not what we've been taught. <laughs> I, I, I get um, questions from like new moms and they have a newborn. Um, how much time can I take off or something along those lines? Well, your children are learning even through that process. Mm-hmm. You know, they're learning maybe to, maybe you're not doing the book work, but they're still learning. So those days can still be counted. They're learning to care for a newborn or learning to get their younger brother lunch. So mom can mm-hmm. be with the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I would add to that. My mom had Alzheimer's um, when my kids were in middle school and high school. And um, we, we still counted all our days. They learned a lot about what it means to be a family and to care for other family members and what Alzheimer's is. And, um, and it wasn't at all the way I planned that year um, when she went into the home and my, my father had heart problems. So he had to go into the hospital. So it was a big thing and it really um, took a lot of time to get everything worked out. But, you know, I, I just felt like that was what God wanted them to learn about Mm -hmm. that year. And so it's not like, you know, they fell behind terribly or anything. We were fine. And truthfully, when everything was settled, my dad came over and did history with my younger son, who's dyslexic and has trouble reading it on his own. And to give me a break, he read history to him like three days a week. And so, and he was happy to do that. So, you know, I felt like the Lord provided, even though I was a little stressed about you know, how are we going to get everything done? This isn't what I planned. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I can totally feel for parents who are dealing with unusual circumstances and feeling like, ah, you know, what do I do about homeschooling? Yeah. Life happens. Life happens. I mean, and you don't know it's coming, right? <laughs> so that's the beauty of homeschooling, the flexibility there. And, and if we're thinking learning is happening outside of books, then anything that happens that you have to work through is valuable. I mean, it's valuable for, for life, for learning how to work through life and life things. So count them all moms, count them all. (laughs) So, all right, here's a question. I'm an unschooler. How do evaluators measure progress in the required subjects? And along with that was another question that said, how do I assign grades on a transcript if I unschool? Who would like to tackle that one? Does anyone, do you guys have any unschoolers, either of you? Mm-hmm. You both do, you're both nodding. So who answered the last one? Was it Courtney or was it Barb? <laughs> I think it's Barb's turn. <laughs> okay, so as far as unschoolers are concerned, I think some of it depends on what you're planning to do like after high school. Because a lot of the unschoolers that I've known have done more like um, apprenticeships and things like that. They're not necessarily looking to go to college right out of high school. So the transcript, um, I always told my kids in in particular, because I have one that's um, very um, black and white and by the book. and, and, And he was like, well, wait. You know, I did this in this grade and this in this grade and this in this grade. How can you say that I did it all in 10th grade or something like that? And I said, the transcript is really translating what you did as a homeschooler into something that other people who don't homeschool will understand. (laughs) So like this Shakespeare class that I put on here, sure, you did, you know, 
your Shakespeare um, competition and memorization and everything in ninth grade, but then you watched all these plays and movies that were Shakespeare in 10th grade, and then you read all these books in 11th grade. And I can't, I can't take that and <laughs> say, well, you did this part here and this part here and this part here. We need to just put it all together into something that makes sense because you did all this work and you mastered mm -hmm. the, this concept or, you know, this course or whatever. So, um, so it should be on your transcript, but it needs to be a translation that others will understand. And that was okay with him, which was good because it took us a little while to work through that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that with unschooling too, you can do the same sort of thing and say, you know, okay, we did this, this course where we didn't really do any paperwork, but we learned about like hydroponics or something like that. And we set up this whole system in the garage and, you know, and I, I have had kids do things like that. Um, and so they get a credit for that. And it's really cool because they have some things on their transcripts that, you know, you'd mm -hmm. never see on anybody's high school transcript, you know, from an institutional type school because mm -hmm. they just wouldn't be able to make that happen. So, um, so you can do it that way. And then as far as grades are concerned, there's a lot of different ways that you can decide on grades, but sometimes unschoolers in particular really don't want to have grades. And so they'll just have like a list of the things that they've mastered, accomplished, whatever, um, and not put grades on the transcript. And if you're not sending it to a traditional, you know, university or something like that, you don't necessarily need to have grades. Another thing you can do is just to say, well, my child has mastered this, they're going to get an A. Um, you know, there are some people that say, my, my child's not going to have any C's on their transcript because they need to master, you know, the information or it's just not even going to be on there. So, so there's a lot of different ways to look at that. And, um, mm -hmm. and as unschoolers, you're probably not going to be saying, well, yeah, they finished this course because they read this textbook or something like that. Like somebody else might say that's homeschooling. Mm -hmm. so, um, so anyway, it's okay to be creative and have, you know, interesting things on your transcript. And it's okay to come up with your own way to do grades. The only thing I would say is that you need to have some kind of rationale that you can explain to other people if you are putting grades on your transcript. Because sometimes there will be like, you know, applications or things that you need to help fill out as like the guidance counselor for your child. And you'll have to explain how you graded them. So, um, so that does come up sometimes if your child is going on, like I said, to some college or university or something like that, um, just be prepared. So maybe even keep like a portfolio or something that um, you can use to show them what you did. Uh, because it is so like outside of what people are used to. Uh, unschooling is just kind of something that, that they won't be able to picture. Mm -hmm. Anything else on that, um, Courtney? Oh, I think Barb um, covered everything. Um, I've had students that um, one particular um, young man, he um, traditional learning just comes more difficult. So he did a lot of shadowing with his grandfather and he, um, he loves trees. And so he, created a business with trees and he was like 10. And so um, that's what a lot of his learning took place with, and he would sell the trees. 
Um, so they would, so mom would just show me, um, a list of how the, the young boy tracked his sales and, um, maybe if they made advertisements or how he planned, um, his adventure with trees, how he learned about trees. Um, they just really share a lot of it. Um, I think that with evaluations too, there's a dialogue with the parent. And so sometimes it is hard to show everything, especially with unschooling, but there's a, there's, there's a communication, a dialogue happening between the evaluator, the parent and the child to really get a good picture for all that they're doing, which just has always been amazing to me, mm -hmm. what these kids do. That's great. That's like the ultimate outside the box, right? It's <laughs> really amazing. And truly, I mean, at 10 years old, designing your own business and making it happen. I mean, that's talk about learning. I mean, that's real life stuff there. That's great. And it's a passion. Yay. Fuel the passion. That's great. Okay. So this one is, I think Barb touched on this earlier, but I'll ask it because it's on my list. What does your book list look like? Is it just curriculum and a few supplemental books for each subject? Or do you include all the for fun books? Do you include every single book? How do you handle that? And just for the record, I think I'm pretty sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, ladies, that the law calls the book list, the log. Mm -hmm. It's actually the log. When, and, and I guess part of that is the 180 days, but I always thought way back that the log was the list of 180 days and you put a book list with it. But I did some research way back when we started chatting with Chap explaining the law. I'm like, oh no, the log is actually the book list. <laughs> so so um, Courtney, what, what does the log or the book list look like? What should be on there? So a list of materials used and then the fun books. And it can be, um, it can be books on tape. It can be books read to them. It could be books that they read. It doesn't matter. And um, typically I say to my families from eighth grade and down, it can be just a couple of books. It does not have to be exhaustive at all. Mm -hmm. um, so for high school, um, I think like I had shared, a lot of my families use a diploma program. And so I tell them, try to have that as complete as possible because that can translate into different credits in different places. And um, I can help guide parents if I know everything. Mm -hmm. Anything else to add to that, Barb? Oh, uh, well, for elementary, sometimes I have people that like have four pages of, you know, <laughs> eight point font books that they've read. And, and I say, it's all right to just have a sampling of the books because you don't have to list every book that they've taken out of the library. I mean, you know, with, with kids that like to read a lot when they're little, you, you could just end up with pages and pages and pages. And if you want to keep that for your own records, I mean, maybe, you know, you want to have that because you have more kids and you want to have that list or whatever, that's, that's fine. But don't feel like you need to list, you know, 700 books or something like that. <laughs> I don't need to see every single book. If you just want to have, you know, a sampling of what they've read, then that's fine with me. But do, if you use textbooks, do include the textbooks. So what about like magazines and videos? Would you include those on there too? I don't think you have to, if you want to, it's fine. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Well, there you have it. Okay. So we've got a few more left. I think we'll try and get them in. What basic materials do most evaluators look at? How many papers, pictures, projects for each subject should we put in? I think we touched on this before. Um, so basic materials, I'm not sure what they're looking for for basic materials, but I'm thinking that's your samples from all your subjects that you do, beginning, middle, end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and how there is no how many, right? I guess you put in what you want, but you guys don't need a six inch binder of every single paper. <laughs> you have all these not even a three inch binder. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, like I, I have said before, you can have a stack of papers that you can put a staple through and that's fine with me. And you don't have to show me all your art projects and things like that. I mean, some kids really want to show that. But I say, you know, if you want to just show me the samples from the major subjects that you do, like your math and your language arts, you know, things like that, um, that's fine with me. So. Mm -hmm. Any other comments, Courtney, or is that, we covered that's, that pretty good. Yeah, that's, I just usually tell parents three to five things per subject is perfectly fine. And if subjects overlap, great. Um, but if students want to show me something and there's something that was important to them, mm -hmm. by all means, I want to see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned the subjects that overlap. I just love that. <laughs> Like, you know, like history and English. How can you not do history and English together like every single year? Like they just go together. <laughs> it's the coolest. It's the coolest. So, all right. Ooh, how soon should I get an evaluator? <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> so, I, I mean, people are asking this question already. Go ahead. Who was going to start there? I was, just, I was just saying for this year, very true. <laughs> yeah, since there is there are so many more homeschoolers this year, there was quite an influx. And I don't think the number of evaluators has caught up with the influx. So if you have not looked for an evaluator yet this year, you really should be looking because I think a lot of evaluators are full or are getting full. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean like you don't have to do someone in your town, right? If you're doing Zoom, it could be, you know, I could call Barb, you know, Barb's across the state for me. I could be like, Hey, Barb. So, um, you just find someone who fits your philosophy and works with your, would work with your family well and, and go for it. But yeah, I would, what, what do you think in a normal year? When do you get in touch with people on a normal year? Maybe this is the new normal. I don't know, but <laughs> previous well, years. In a normal year, I send out my signups. Um, cause I use sign up genius in at the end of January. But this year, I just sent them out like two weeks ago. Um, I said, like, I wouldn't send it out till at least the middle of March, the end of March, because I wanted to make sure we weren't going to have any waivers again this year. Mm -hmm. Once I figured out we weren't going to have any waivers, I figured I better send it out. But I have, I think, like 270 scheduled already. And I haven't even started doing them. I'll start on Friday. So um, and, you know, I have like, over 800 slots, um, you know, I don't expect all of those to fill by any means, but if everything is full for June, um, before June starts, I'm not adding any more. So, yeah. uh, so I have a list of other evaluators that I send out on my email, my evaluation announcement and, and say, you know, if, if my times don't fit for you or whatever, feel free to contact these other people. 
And, um, and that's what I'll be telling people if they're contacting me in June and I have no, and I would not be at all surprised if I have no slots left in June. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I would say contact people, uh, contact someone for, as an evaluator as soon because I have had a ton of new people. I'm sure Courtney has too that are, you know, homeschooling for the first time this year. So. Yeah. Did you start already, Courtney? I did. I, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's another thing. If you're not aware, you don't have to wait till you're done to get evaluated. You can be evaluated before you're done with your school year. So keep that in mind. You're thinking, how are people done already? Yeah. Well, they're probably not. <laughs> And unfortunately, I expect that, and I'm, I'm guessing Courtney might expect this too, that we'll be hearing from people in July, because I hear from people in July, generally, you know, a few, but I am guessing there are people out there, just from what I've seen, who really don't know that they need to have an evaluation and won't figure it out until their school district contacts them and says, hey, we didn't get your evaluation form. And um and I know there's at least one local school district that started giving out my phone number already. So, um, wow. so anyway, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, unfortunately, there probably will be evaluations in July this year or August as well. Yeah. So spread the word, spread the word. Yes. Evaluations are on for this year and you need to get an evaluator and get signed up now. <laughs> Tell everybody, you know, okay. So last question. Someone mentioned this on our video last week. Can we include work from our Bible study in our work for the year with our schoolwork? So Courtney, what do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Again, that's like overlapping. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's history. That is writing. It can be vocabulary. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Any of that stuff. Like we said, it's, it's learning. You're learning. You include it for sure. I, my kids go to a summer camp. There's a church nearby that does a free half day, no full day summer camp. And they, you know, they do crafts and singing and sports and Bible and all this stuff. And I, I, I count it. My boys go, my one son was a camp counselor. I counted like the whole summer. <laughs> that's, you know, that's all learning. It's all learning. So um, anything else you ladies would like to cover before we wrap this up? Because that's all my questions. So is that Bible study one? The only thing that I would add is that you should um, make sure that you have an evaluator that kind of is, is on the, the same line as you as far as um, just kind of that you agree on things because I, I have had people say like, well, I went to this evaluator who wasn't a Christian and she wasn't real happy about, you know, my Bible study being included or whatever. So, so kind of make sure you're on the same page um, with your evaluator, just because I, I feel like that's helpful um, mm -hmm. and it'll make the evaluation a little more comfortable experience. So, so yeah, you should find an evaluator. But again, and even, you know, sometimes a public school teacher won't really understand um, what homeschooling is all about. So I always encourage people, if you can find an evaluator that is a homeschooler, or has been a homeschooler, that is usually um, a little better fit than somebody who has not homeschooled because uh, they don't really understand as well how it works. And I have to say, you know, being trained as a public school teacher, um, I didn't understand 
how homeschooling worked until I actually did it with my kids. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of public school teachers that are homeschooling. So, you know, you know, um, yeah, I know a lot of ladies in my co-op and stuff that were are certified teachers and they were in the teaching in the school system. They had children and they brought their kids home. So yeah, it's very common. Um, so yeah, I think it's very wise to have someone who understands homeschooling is just different. The lifestyle is different. The mindset is different. You know, some of the things we were talking about today, learning happens all the time. Um, of course, you know, our faith, you know, related, you know, studying Bible that is included. It's life. It's, that is life. All of life is, is, um, our faith and is in part of all, all parts of our life. You know, that's how we live. So, um, it all counts. It's all part of the learning experience for your children. So hopefully this was helpful to you. Uh, if you have any other questions, please comment below. Uh, we would love to answer your questions. And again, I have this ultimate membership to the schoolhouseteachers.com. The question was, what do you hand in to the school district by June 30th? First person to answer will win this and I will mail it off to you. Um, ladies, thank you so much for joining me this week and last. It has been awesome to have you on here with me and we made it through the technological hiccups. <laughs> And we did it. Yay. So, um, yeah, it was great to have you on. I thank you very much. And um, this has been Chatting with Chap. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you. Okay.